Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. This podcast was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic and focuses on universal postpartum issues. If you'd like information on pre- and postnatal care and how Beaumont is responding during the pandemic, please listen to our labor and delivery episode. You can also find more at beaumont.org safe. Max and Winnie were born at 27 weeks, so that's about three months early. Within two hours of having them, I was standing next to an incubator looking at my babies who were two pounds and full of wires, full of needles, and really just not knowing what to do in that experience and having to jump in and just be the strong person that was there for your kids as much as you could be. The NICU is a really lonely place, even though you're constantly surrounded by doctors and nurses and other people kind of in and out of your room, it still can be a really lonely and isolating place for new parents who are doing everything that, as I look back on it, I really didn't even realize that I was probably experiencing postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and all of the things that come along with having a new baby, but being in this very stressful environment and very stressful experience. We were there every day, 10, 12 hours a day, and the staff was amazing, but their primary purpose is to take care of your babies. I mean, they are there making sure that your babies are doing as well as they can be and thriving. So, you know, you walk in the door and it's, how are you today? And my answer was a quick, I'm fine, I'm good, which is, I think, just human nature to answer that question that way when really I wasn't. I wish that there would have been some sort of an outlet for me to to share those feelings that I was having. So so that the nurses can just do their job and take care of the babies, but having some other or additional support to be able to talk about how I was feeling and how, as a parent, I was personally handling being a new mom in the NICU. Now, four years later, I'm still dealing with issues of anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder and different things like that 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 all just came from those first two months of my, my kids' lives. With everything I was going through, I really just wish that there would have been somebody or something that could have helped. You just heard from Brandy, mom to four-year-old twins, Max and Winnie, who were born at 27 weeks and spent two months in the NICU. Brandy had wished she had more help. Well, for those of you out there wishing the same, you're in luck. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Asha Shahjahan. Our goal is to help you and your family live smarter and healthier lives. Today we're talking about the fourth trimester. Wait a minute, I know what you're thinking to yourself. I thought there was only three trimesters, but no, there is a fourth trimester. And that's the time right after birth to the first three months of life for your infant. It can be a particularly difficult time for new mothers and fathers. We'll talk about what is postpartum blues versus postpartum depression, how to adjust to your life with a newborn, and so much more. Let me introduce our guest today, Dr. Laura Mousi, OBGYN at Beaumont Health. Thank you so much for being here, Dr. Mousi. Thank you for having me this afternoon. Why don't you tell for our listeners a little bit about you and what you do? I am a practicing obstetrician gynecologist. I have been practicing probably for over 17 years now. Um, I initially was in private practice in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Then I came back home um, when I wanted to start my family. And I settled down here at Beaumont for about the last 11 years. So I'm on staff at Beaumont Royal Oak. I am one of the faculty physician, generalist physicians at Beaumont. 
in your experience, and obviously you said you have 17 years of experience, I noticed that women focus so much on the birthing process. Like everyone's freaking out about delivery and what's going to happen. Am I going to get my epidural? And they're not quite prepared for the first three months of life. Why is it that you think that the fourth trimester is so important and why is it so overlooked? I think that it's very important because there is just so many different changes that are going on in the postpartum period, physically, emotionally. Um, And I don't think women um, can appreciate how life-altering and life-changing it can be during that time period. I think everybody focuses on a healthy baby, a healthy mom, getting that outcome. And then I think we're just expected to do it afterwards. It's just supposed to come naturally. Yeah. Everything or people is don't just talk about it. Like, Nobody I think talks about it. The issue is that it's like, okay, the baby comes and everyone's excited. I'm done. I carried it for nine months. But then it's like, where's the owner's manual? And I don't <laughs> think that women realize that we're a resource at that time frame mm-hmm. because they think they've already delivered. Why would my OB help me at this point in time? So I think that um, that becomes an issue, too. I don't think they know that we're here for them and that they can always call us. So you mentioned that, you know, it's a time of a lot of physical changes and emotional changes. Um, And I've often heard this phrase that change is the only constant after pregnancy, like everything just keeps changing. So let's talk about the woman's body in the fourth trimester. Like what are some of the changes to be expected? So there are a lot of different hormonal changes. Your body is trying to get back into a pre-pregnancy state. Um, So there are a lot of hormonal changes. Everyone wants to get back to their pre-pregnancy weight. (laughs) It's a long time being pregnant. I mean, 10 months, that's your due date. That's a long time to um, be pregnant, to be carrying a baby. There is all of those physical kind of changes. And depending on how you deliver versus, you know, if it's a cesarean section versus a vaginal delivery, Mm -hmm. C-sections, you have a post-operative recovery to deal with as well. And that's not always that easy. Or if you've had a post-operative complication that you're dealing with. Um, Vaginal delivery, you can have still a lot of soreness with that. There's always um, bleeding. Sometimes it can be heavy bleeding. Sometimes it's abnormal bleeding. Even lower extremity swelling, leg swelling. I mean, that Mm -hmm. can be, I remember my postpartum, I could only wear flip-flops for that first week after because that was the only thing that was... Was it summer? Was it summer? (laughs) It was. It was. Um, But, you know, that is one of the questions that why are my legs swelling after the delivery? Right. Um, and it's just still those kind of physiologic changes after pregnancy. So, And then even just like having breast milk. Breast engorgement, breast pain, just navigating how to, to breastfeed and latch your baby and pump with the pump. I mean, all of those things can be overwhelming. Um, sometimes they're difficult and challenging. It just doesn't always come naturally and easily like you may hear on stories or TV or yes. on the internet. So it's you mean you just don't know? Like all of a sudden it's like this natural thing. Like all a lot of my friends, their fathers will be like, well, you're the mom, you should know. And it's like, I don't know. No, you don't know. And I will say that... Um, you know, all of the things that you read on the internet and things like when in my postpartum period, I just thought we had to be on this strict schedule and I'm going to mm-hmm. teach my baby how to do this and she's going to go to sleep and we're going to get on a schedule of feeding and things like that. And I tell you, I was my happiest when I let all of that go. And yes. I kind of let her and I dictate what we were doing with our relationship. Right. And it got so much better at that point. 
Yeah. And I think that that phrase that no one knows your baby better than you is so powerful because I think women are overwhelmed, unsure of themselves, especially if it's the first time they're being mothers and just like always listening to what other people have to say. And it's like, oh, well, for me, my baby sleeps the whole night through or uh, I had no problem breastfeeding. And then suddenly you start feeling like, well, what, what's wrong with my situation? Why is that not working? Uh, and that kind of leads me a little bit to the whole good baby, bad baby conversation, if you've heard of that. Um, and the thing is, is there's no such thing as a good or bad baby. Their babies are babies, and some are different. Some sleep through the night and some don't. But I think often there's always this label that my baby's a really good baby because my baby sleeps through the night, or my baby's not a good baby because it's fussy or whatever. What do you say to your patients when they come to you, you know, describing their baby as a good baby or bad baby? I think that it's just trying to give them that extra education and support. So if it's an extra colicky baby or they have problems feeding, well, let's get to the bottom of why your baby's feeding. Let's work with your pediatrician mm -hmm. and figure out what the issue is. Could it be the if they're not breastfeeding? Is it the formula formula that you're using? Um, sometimes babies need different formulas. Some babies have a lot of acid reflux. Do they add in something for the reflux for the baby and that just gets better? I think... Um, trying to delve into what the issue is and then trying to find a solution for that. But just giving them encouragement. Nothing is wrong. There's right. not, you know, if there was something wrong, I think your pediatrician would, you know, do some follow-up studies or something like that. But you just got to work with it and deal with it and figure out um, how we can overcome those. Another thing as we talk about changes, sleep is now a big issue. I know people will say they're only sleeping one or two hours. Like, what do you recommend for your patients? Is it best to, you know, take naps or with their significant other, take turns? Or are you supposed to sleep when your baby's sleeping? Like, how do you manage sleep? And I think this goes into what kind of support systems they have in place for after delivery. There are some couples who have no family here, that they, you know, it's just them two trying to work out their new schedule with their babies. Um, sometimes they have overwhelming um, in-laws and that gives too much opinion on things like that. Um, so I think trying to figure out exactly how much support they have and then figure out what you can do with regards to that. So if they have a very involved partner, then hopefully that you can, if you're breastfeeding, because sometimes moms feel like they have to be the ones to feed the baby if they're breastfeeding. But mm -hmm. if you can pump and you can store that milk, then your husband can certainly feed the baby in the middle of the night some of those times. I think for myself, the first week afterwards, my mother would come over first thing in the morning, every morning. Oh, nice. And so I could get those few hours of sleep in the morning, especially if it was a bad night. My husband still had to go to work, but she was there. And so in the morning, she would take care of the baby. I had extra milk on so she could feed the baby and I could get some rest at that point. I think it's, you know, it's hard to try to say sleep when the baby sleeps right. because you have other things that you need to do sometimes exactly. during the day, um, whether it be your chores or whatever it is that you have to do. So sometimes that is a little bit more difficult. But sleep is important and sleep deprivation, I think, definitely affects mood. It, it affects your energy level, your health in general. So I try to emphasize um, making it so that you can get some of that sleep. And, you you know, you can't feel 
I think there's a lot of guilt that goes associated with postpartum. I mean, I think we all think that we should be these super moms and Mm -hmm. we should be able to take care of our husbands and our families and the household and the baby. And and it's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. And so um, I think being aware of um, when you need help is very important and being able to ask and reach out for that help is important. You mentioned how, you know, lack of sleep has an effect on mood. So let's talk about mood a little bit. So, you know, mild depression is really common with new mothers. I, th- I think I read about 50% of new moms have some sort of change in mood that may be negative or uh, feel down. But as we heard in Brandy's story, you know, she said that she wasn't 100% sure at the time that she was going through it, that she was going through some type of postpartum depression. Like she looked back and said, maybe I was, but she didn't recognize it at the time. What are the signs of postpartum depression and how is that different from the postpartum blues? Um, So what I usually will tell my patients to look out for, I think there's always um, some level of emotional emotionality that goes into the postpartum period. I don't know if that's right. I don't know Mm -hmm. if it is right. Um, But, um, you know, there is, you can just look at your baby sometimes and cry. Or, you know, there's something on TV that just makes you cry. And and those are kind of hormonal changes, but they aren't severe. And it shouldn't feel like an internal sadness or hopelessness. And I tell my patients, if it's something where you can't get out of the bed to take care of yourself or your baby, you don't find pleasure in the things that you used to find pleasure in, you feel like you're hopeless. Or definitely, if it gets to the point where you have thoughts of suicide or death or you feel very disconnected from your baby, then we're moving on into postpartum depression as opposed to just blues. I think blues, there's not that um, internal sense of I'm unhappy or, you know, you just, you just feel severe. You just, you just kind of cry and you're like, oh, why am I crying? You know, and it's just not that bad. But when you start getting into depression, I think it's kind of takes over your mind. You're thinking about those things a lot more and, and the guilt. And sometimes you can't connect with your baby and you don't want to get out of bed and poor eating and poor sleeping, then we're getting into something more severe. So here's something that uh, one of my friends shared with me that I wanted to get your take on. So, you know, she said she had the baby, she was excited, happy, and, you know, everyone was so excited about the baby. And she wanted to, you know, talk a little bit about the birthing process, but didn't get an opportunity to do that because everyone's just like talking about the baby. But she said that as, as it's, you know, the first like two months, she didn't feel like all that attached to the baby. Like she's like, yeah, it was a baby. It was attached to me and I was feeding it, but I didn't have this like emotional attachment to my baby. Am I a bad mom? And she said once she started getting to, once the baby started having the social smile and sort of interacting more and she got used to the routine of it, she started feeling more connected to the baby, but she was really worried. And she said, do you think there's something wrong with me? Like, do I, everyone seems to like love their baby so much and I just feel kind of disconnected. Is that a sign of depression or is that normal? I think that could be a sign of depression, um, feeling disconnected for, from your baby. But I think at that time, looking how long it lasts. And so after yes. a couple months, it resolved and she was bad. So I think that um, it may have been more of like just blues. The postpartum blues versus the postpartum depression. Is there like a time frame? Like, you know, I've, is it like one to two weeks? It's considered blues and normal. And then if it starts persisting and getting more severe, is that a time to be alarmed? 
Yes. So usually the postpartum blues will resolve itself after a couple of weeks. And if it persists longer or if the symptoms start after that, Mm -hmm. then we look more into postpartum depression. So let's go over some of the risk factors um, for postpartum depression. What would they be? You can have um, the physical um, some, you know, predisposition to say someone who's had a very complicated antepartum course or, mm-hmm. you know, was in the hospital for a very long time or their babies were in the NICU, as Brandy was saying before. Those are, that's very, very, um, hard on a woman. So that can be a risk factor for postpartum depression. You have environmental and social factors that go Mm -hmm. into um, postpartum depression. So um, women with a lot of chronic comorbidities, you know, hypertension and diabetes that have to manage those or come back to the hospital for a lot of doctor's visits afterwards, sometimes that can lead to depression. Um, Substance use disorders. I have a specialization in treating pregnant women with substance use disorders, and um, they're highest risk of mortality can be in the first year after childbirth. Mm-hmm. Um, so those things can lead to depression. Genetic predisposition to depression um, can be a risk factor. History of depression in the past or long-standing history of depression prior to pregnancy is a risk factor for postpartum depression. So let's say you've, di- you've kind of self-diagnosed yourself. It's come to the point where it's been several weeks and you just don't feel like yourself and you know that you're sleep deprived and you may or may not have resources of, in terms of people helping you out. And you're like, okay, I think maybe I have a problem. How would this be treated? Is this something that can be treated naturally through you know, meditation and exercise and those types of things? Or is it something that definitely needs therapy and medication? I think it's definitely something that you should talk with your physician about so you can try to see how severe it is for you um, and figure out an action plan like that. I think if it's more mild than maybe some of those other integrative medicine types, meditation, you know, exercise, yoga, things that you find pleasure in might Mm -hmm. be able to help you. Um, If it is more of a severe case, and especially if you are feeling um, disconnected from your baby and you don't find those kind of enjoyment things in life, um, then I would say that you definitely need some therapy, counseling, and treatment, and maybe medication for that. So when we talk about antidepressants, a lot of people are afraid because they think, oh my gosh, I'm breastfeeding. I don't want to take an antidepressant. It's going to get into the milk and it's going to affect my baby. But it's true that a lot of women are on antidepressants even throughout their pregnancy, correct? They are. They are. And everything in pregnancy is risk benefits. And so we want to see if the benefits outweigh the risk of taking the medication. Um, We do use um, some medication more often in pregnancy. Like SSRIs, are, are those are more safe in pregnancy? Typically Zoloft is one we have a lot of um, research on. So that has been proven safe in pregnancy and breastfeeding. So we use that one a lot. Um, if they are not breastfeeding, um, then sometimes, and especially if it's severe, mm-hmm. I'll kind of refer them to a psychiatrist because there's just a whole lot of um, antidepressants on the market and there may be something that's better for them, um, just the ones that we just don't prescribe a lot. So um, I will refer them to a psychiatrist or a therapist to get on, but if they need something in the meantime, I certainly will prescribe them something. 
And the other thing is that you know, we're focusing a lot on women, but I read a study that found that 10% of new fathers experience postpartum depression. Um, and the highest rate or the time time frame is kind of like three to six months. So it's kind of like after the fourth trimester for the mom um, and baby, it's like three to six months. A, a lot of men have depression. Have you found uh, in your practice women coming to talk to you about that or families coming in and talking about that? No, not a lot of it. And you know that it probably does happen. And I think some of it is maybe because they're expecting their wife to bounce back so mm -hmm. quickly after childbirth. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So if their um, sexual life isn't the same as it was before, they're, they're feeling like they're not getting the time that they had before the baby was there. But people don't talk about those things. So I yes. think this podcast is very good just as far as mental health in general for, for um, and it's a little bit easier for women, but definitely for men. I don't yeah, think, I think we forget, like a lot of people just focus all about pregnancy and everything on women. And I'm not, you know, saying that's a bad thing, but like men are fathers and they want to be involved too. And I think sometimes we forget about the fact that, you know, men can go through depression too. So I think it's really important that, you know, both the male and the female involved, you know, see their practitioner if they feel like something's off. Definitely. So if let's say you have someone in your family that's going through postpartum depression, like a friend or a sister or a cousin or your spouse, how can you support them? First of all, just getting a sense of exactly what is going on with them, what the maybe what the problem is. You know, some of the stressors in the postpartum period could be financial. Mm -hmm. It could be insurance-wise. Some feel, you know, they know they're going to lose their insurance at some point. Um, sometimes it can be problems with their partners or significant others. Um, um, domestic violence is an issue sometimes postpartum. Oh, mm -hmm. So I think that we have to figure out exactly what may be the cause of it and then see and what I try to tell patients is that the medication it's not that we are trying um, to have them not feel anything I don't think that's the right thing either mm -hmm. um, you have to be able to process those emotions yes. um, what I think the medication helps them do is kind of help them to handle situations better and maybe not be all over the place. You feel so up one time or so down one time. It kind of keeps them a little kind bit of regulate even the hormones keel, a little bit. Um, and just keep them a little bit more even so that they can handle those situations a little bit better. I tell them I want them to process their feelings. I think that is a part of the whole healing process and getting past it. Um, but we just want them to be able to handle it a lot better. And I don't think it's helpful if their partners or their family members are always, you're just so moody or, oh, you know, yeah. you're just so crabby now or, you know, you're that just so mean now. Yeah, like <laughs> and it. so they hear that all the time and, they're, and they sometimes come to me and say, oh, well, they told me that I'm, you know, acting like this. And, and that doesn't help the situation, I don't think. So we just have to figure out what exactly may be the problem and then try to see how we can fix it. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that I think asking for help is a sign of strength. And so often people think the opposite, that if I'm asking for help, that means I'm not a good mom. If I don't know what I'm doing or I'm, you know, it, it's like, how do we change that mindset of asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. I think we just have to continue to reinforce that in the office. And I think that's why the, some of those parenting programs are mm -hmm. so helpful. Um, having some of the social services, we have a social worker in my office, and she has been a tremendous help to us. And sometimes it's as easy as, 
her helping them to navigate their insurance and with their caseworker, if it's Medicaid. Sometimes they have a lot of issues with that. Um, you know, patients with cultural differences or language barriers. Sometimes they just need somebody to come and say, hey, this is what, you know, is going on and what you need. And they're so much better after that. Do you also think, so postpartum, usually a postpartum visit, C-section, maybe two weeks and then regular delivery in six weeks is when they see their OBGYN again. Do you think that's too long or too short? Like if someone is starting to have signs and symptoms of um, depression and they're concerned, should they wait the full six weeks before they see their OB? Um, or should they see their family doc? Or what is your suggestion? So I think historically it has always been for a cesarean section, we usually do a post-operative visit at two weeks and then their um, postpartum visit at six weeks. For a regular vaginal delivery, it's been six weeks. If there's been some other complicated course to their pregnancy, sometimes we will see them back in a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it is too long, and I think that is why the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology has revised their um, recommendations for the fourth trimester or the postpartum period. And their um, their whole thought process is that it should be an ongoing process, not one single visit. And so they're recommending that we definitely follow up with patients within three weeks after delivery, um, and then the six weeks postpartum, and then having a comprehensive visit with the patient at 12 weeks. And that's trying to transition them into well woman care after oh, that. I love that. That mm-hmm. is just, it's, it's, it's just a better process. You feel like your hands held a little bit more. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up is that, you know, how um, Brandy was saying in her story about, she, you know, I kind of had a traumatic um, pregnancy. It ended up, you know, have delivering early, et cetera. So when you do have a complicated pregnancy, like one of my friends, she had preeclampsia and she ended up having seizures during um, her delivery. And again, after the delivery, everyone's like, baby, baby, I love the baby. Let me see the baby. Let's talk about the baby, whatever. Um, and she wanted to talk about what happened to her during her um, pregnancy, but uh, during the delivery process, but she felt almost like ashamed or that she shouldn't be talking about it because the focus should be the baby and not her. Uh, what is your advice for moms out there that do have traumatic pregnancies and kind of how do they talk it through? And as a friend or a family member visiting, is there something that you can, you know, sit and play with the baby and ooh and gaga over the baby, but then maybe sit and talk with mom and 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 say, so how did it go? And like, what what happened? And how are you doing? Mm-hmm, what do you mm-hmm. think about that? I mean, I think that is very very important. I mean, um, and eclampsia is definitely a severe complication to pregnancy, um, and sometimes those things can be life altering. Um, and, and I think as obstetricians, we need to do a better job in, um, making sure our patients are okay and understanding exactly what happened to them and for their future risk and what's going to happen to them in future uh, with future pregnancies. Um, so much of, I think it's coming out that, um, pregnancy doesn't necessarily cause all all of these issues, Mm -hmm. but that these issues kind of emerge in pregnancy, and it tells us about their risk factors for the future, cardiovascular risk and things like that if they're hypertensive and diabetic. Um, And I don't think we did a good job in the past of trying to transition into that well-woman care. I mean, we definitely don't manage those kind of complications out of the postpartum pregnancy, but making sure that they follow up with an internal medicine doctor. And I think maybe... You know, you know, patients 
don't necessarily bring family members to visits. I'm always like, you can bring your partner and yeah, I will talk to them idea. as well, yeah. you know, and just to let them know, um, especially, you know, women with substance use disorders. I think that's a big one. And with medication, if they're on maintenance medication, their families don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, their partners don't understand why they're on it. And why can't you just get off the medication and be strong enough and, and beat the addiction? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that's helpful. And so I always bring your family members. I will certainly talk to them as well and try to educate them so that they can be better support for you. It's great. Um, I think also talking about things like self-care, not being selfish. Uh, I think a lot of women, um, I have a lot of issues with managing guilt. You know, like um, you really want to be a career woman, but you feel kind of guilty to go back to work or you think you can balance it all and Um, you can't. Or now it's like, am I a bad mom if I have work priorities and vice versa? We talk a little bit about managing this guilt and, you know, that expectation, as you mentioned, to be superwoman, quote unquote. How do how do women deal with going back to work? And I think that goes back to your support system as well. I mean, I I had that guilt and I didn't want to leave my daughter when she was a baby. And I called, I remember I called my mother up and I said, I don't want to go back to work. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave her. I want to, you know, be able to spend this time with her. And she said, Lori, there are a lot of working moms out there. I was a working mom. I had to go back to work, and I think you turned out okay. You know, and I mean, I think just kind of that validation that other women go through this, you know, this is something that you you have to do, and I love my job. You mm-hmm. know, I love my career, um, but it is just you think your baby needs you, and you think that you're the only one that can give your baby that love and attention. Um, so um, I would definitely say, and, and it's a process I think that we all have to work through, Um and it's just being able to talk to somebody and get those feelings off your chest. I think it's also a little bit of looking at like success looks a little different now. You know, it's like the way we look at success, maybe you used to work a lot of hours after work or you, you know, used to go out on the weekends or whatever, like your your whole sort of um, system changes. So it's kind of like it's not that you can't do the things that you used to do. It might just be a little bit different. different. Um, and what I got really good advice for someone is that you can't always have everything at the same time. You can have everything, Mm -hmm. but not at the same time. So sometimes you might have to give a little, take a little. And I think it's also just having that communication if you have a partner that you can share the workload too. You know, I think there's a lot of resentment when uh, women are are the caretakers in their home and dad's back at work. And he's like, well, I need to sleep because I have to go to work the next day. And mom's like, well, I also need to sleep as well because I got to watch the baby all day. So there's a lot of this like internal conflict of who takes the responsibility and who doesn't. And not necessarily thinking that child care is work. Or, you know, right. home is work. And that I think that is an issue, too. And so just realizing how much time and work it does take to take care of a baby and a household and things like that. Do you have any tips for, like, two, two tier here? One is for moms going back to work, how to prepare for that. Um, and then, two, the moms that don't go back to work or are now going to stay at home or have been staying at home, but now staying at home looks different. You're with the baby 24-7. Two pieces of advice. You know, I am, especially for the moms who stay at home, Mm -hmm. I think that goes back to um, self-care is not selfish. Yeah. 
um, you have to take some time for yourself and you have to be able to to get away for yourself and do those things that make you happy, whether it be exercise or go for a spa day or something like that. It can't just all revolve around you take care, taking care of your family. You have to take care of yourself. Right. Or even maybe scheduling like, you know, weekly workouts or something um, for girl time, mm-hmm. going date nights, like having different outlets. Um, I, I call it adult time. It's really important yes. to have adult time during the kid time. And it makes a difference. Sometimes you'll just say, oh, my gosh, I'm having adult conversations with, yeah. you know. It's <laughs> not nursery rhymes. <laughs> exactly. It's not Mickey Mouse all the time. But so I think that's very important. Um, you know, going back to work, I think that getting a schedule of how you're going to um, when you go to work, when you pick up your baby, your daycare, you know, having all that in place before you go back mm-hmm. is um, very important. It just relieves that much stress off of you. So if you know where you're taking your baby, you know, for daycare and things like that and how your schedule might change with regards to work and just making sure your employers know what your changes or what you're thinking so everybody's on the same page, I think that takes a lot of stress off. Do you think it's a good idea to kind of do like a mock going back to work, like, the week before you're actually going back to work and maybe just be out of the house for eight hours and, you know, get that get that worry out of you. Because a lot of moms are like, I'm worried that what's going to happen to my baby. So is it something like, OK, maybe I'm going to go to a coffee shop and start looking at my emails and slowly transition back? I guess it's different for everybody. It is. And I mean, I probably did start looking at emails and things like that, seeing what the schedule is going to be before I came back to work. But I don't know that I would have liked to spend a day, <laughs> take another week off and it. then come back. I just just put me back into work. And I think that would be just the, the better way to go. Um, what are some fun things that you can do um, in the in the fourth trimester that you think that would make it more enjoyable or, um, you know, kind of make it more lighthearted? I think some of the things that I wish I would have done, I think I would have liked to have gotten out more and exercise, maybe put the baby in the stroller and just mm-hmm. walk around the neighborhood. Not you be know? afraid to take the baby out. <laughs> um, and it was springtime, so um, the weather was actually very nice. You know, maybe get the baby and the dog out and go for walks. I didn't do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Why didn't you? Um, probably because... Like you're scared? Or? or just, you know, for me, getting out the house with the baby wasn't <laughs> It was a was Process. a big challenge. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a big challenge, um, and I don't know if you just feel secure like being in your own four walls kind of thing. Um, but I wish I would have just been, I think, more active. Um, I also had a cesarean section, mm-hmm. so I think um, recovery wise for me, it was it was eye opening because I don't know that I really felt back to myself until after like three months, okay. um, after she was born for three months. And I wasn't really having any pain, but just physically overall, I didn't feel necessarily back to myself until it was it's about three fourth months. Fourth trimester, I'm it telling is, you. It is, definitely. I mean, I had my meltdowns and breakdowns, and I tell my patients it's all very normal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you feel overwhelmed and you just keep it all inside. Right. I remember one time I told my husband just to go, and I stayed <laughs> in the tub for four hours that day. I told him to take the baby. Good for you. I Good stayed for in you. the tub for four hours. So, I mean, it, 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 everybody goes through it. 
So Dr. Mausi, what are some resources that you would recommend for our listeners uh, in terms of learning about the fourth trimester? Um, I believe there are um, some resources online that Beaumont offers. Mm -hmm. Um, They could go to classes.beaumont.org. And there are some um, resources on that website that talks about some parenting classes and support groups. Mm -hmm. Um, And then definitely reach out to your physician because they may have some additional resources as well. Dr. Mosey, thank you so much for shedding light on the fourth trimester. Uh, I think our listeners have gained a lot of valuable tools uh, to help them out. I think this was a wonderful talk to have. And um, as an obstetrician in the medical field, I think um, it's always great when we continue to know um, where the deficits are and that we can continue to improve on healthcare. Don't forget, podcast listeners, we also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions to podcast at beaumont.org. In the future, we'll be answering our mailbag. Till the next time, thank you for joining us on the Beaumont House Call. We leave you today with this healthy thought. Having a baby is such an exciting time. It's the miracle of life. But the baby doesn't come with an instruction manual and Google isn't always your friend. Know that you're doing a great job and that nobody knows your baby better than you. If you're struggling with this new change in life, you're not alone. Depression is not a sign that you're a bad mother or that you don't love your baby. It's a physiological and psychological process that can be effectively treated with help and support groups, counseling, and sometimes medication. If you think that you have symptoms of depression as we discussed today, make sure you talk to your doctor immediately. Asking for help is a sign of strength. There's no such thing as a good or bad baby. Instead of wishing that you had known more and knew better as Brandy did, hopefully we were able to give you some tips today to empower you. Look for ways to incorporate self-care and maybe join a parenting class. Have a sense of humor or at least be loving to yourself. In the face of your parenting fails, find your support and enjoy that beautiful bundle of joy. Continue your journey to living a smarter, healthier life. Visit beaumont.org slash podcast to access information and resources related to today's podcast.